And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man, Bungie? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, we'll celebrate St. Patrick's Day with the Screen Director's Playhouse radio adaptation of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Then, Loretta Young guest stars on part one of The Burns and Allen Show from 1943. But first, let me say hello to my engineer and producer, Mike Costello. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Carl? Good. You know what? Lisa Wolf will be here, but she's running late because she's interviewing, you know who? I don't recall. Louis Anderson. Ah, that's right. Yeah, he plays um, Christine Baskets on the television show right, Baskets. Right. Oh, my gosh. He's so great. She's interviewing him. And uh, then she'll be over here. She'll uh, When she gets here, we'll put her on the air. All right, there we go. All right, but right now, it's time for the Screen Director's Playhouse. Now, leading Hollywood stars performed in radio adaptations of their popular movies with the added element of director participation. The director of the film would introduce the movie and make a curtain call, a chat with the stars. Directors included Alfred Hitchcock, John Ford, Frank Capra, and Billy Wilder, to name a few. It came to NBC Radio in 1949, lasted until 1951, and then made a brief transition to TV in 1955 for one season. Time now for the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. This is sponsored by RCA Victor, is heard on NBC. Let's go back to April 7, 1950, for part one now of The Screen Director's Playhouse. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents... Screen Directors Playhouse, star Douglas Fairbanks Jr., production The Fighting O'Flynn, director Arthur Pearson... The Hollywood Screen Directors present Transcribed, a play on high adventure. The motion picture story, The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks in his original role of the O'Flynn, with Meg Randall as Lady Benedetta. Ireland, 1797, was a hotbed of plot and counterplot, intrigue and violence. Napoleon Bonaparte's war seemed far away, but his agents in Ireland were setting the stage for further conquests. I, O'Flynn of O'Flynn, was a soldier of fortune, returning to the small green land of Ireland. There was one other passenger in the coach, posting for Dublin that fine moonlit night. A lady. English, lovely, <laughs> and most interestingly, aloof. Your pardon, lady, but what did you say your name was? I did not say. <laughs> she did not say, she does not say, but who can say that she will not say? <laughs> I win. No, the spies and agents of Napoleon they're after me. Is it so? Faster, driver, faster! We can't outrun horsemen. I have a better plan. Hold fast, milady. 
I opened the door and swung myself up to the coachman's seat. Grasping the reins from him, I swung the coach screechingly in a hard turn that sent the coach sidelong, blocking the road and tearing the wheels off. Then I jumped to the ground and opened the door for Lady... <laughs> she did not say to step into the room. You madman, now they will catch us. Get behind the coach, quickly. Oh, you mad! Driver, collect all those wheel spokes and pile them up beside me. Hurry! They're coming! I'm ready. You can't fight them with those wagon spokes. Shillelaghs now, milady. Crude but workable Irish shillelagh. Now, I rose with an armful of heavy wagon spokes and let fly. So! So! Stand where you are, who's left a foot. We pistols, too. Driver, select their three best horses. I'll keep these beggars covered. Well, the moment we were all mounted and still keeping the robbers covered, we wheeled off and raced into the night. We should be starting for Dublin again, O'Flynn. You're even prettier than I dreamed you'd be. What's your name? Benedetta. Benedetta. Benedetta, I like that. I like you. Thank you, O'Flynn. But you mustn't talk so to me. Oh? I'm engaged to be married. Engaged to be... I'll not admit it. Lord Sedgmuth, in my father's service in Dublin. Oh, it's a whim. I'll win you somehow. Lord Sedgmuth or not, I'll... A lord in your father's service. My father is a viceroy of Ireland. Sure, and it's the class I've stumbled onto this time. Those highwaymen knew somehow that I was carrying a certain packet to the viceroy. Packet? Yes, it contains a report of Bonaparte's plan to invade England by way of Ireland. The devil it does. Let me take care of it. Here. Ah, now then. And now then, I think we'd better ride for Dublin, O'Flynn. We found His Excellency, the Viceroy of Ireland, was in the palace garden with Lord Sedgmuth, Benedetta's fiancé. Sedgmuth was very handsome, to be sure. But I felt rather wretched in the stomach when he took my Benedetta in his arms and kissed her. And the Viceroy looked very grave as he finished reading the documents we had brought him. Sedgmuth, this is most serious. Bonaparte's best troublemaker, General Van Dronk, has been sneaked into an old abandoned castle on the coast. Castle Knockmore. Oh, yes, I know the mossy heap of stone. Ah, but do you know Van Dronk? I do, by reputation only. A bitter and moody man, but a great soldier. Nevertheless, I shall myself recruit a force to march on Van Drunk. Accepted, O'Flynn. But Castle Lockmore will take a regiment of trained troops, not amateurs, to capture it. Then see to it, Sedgmuth, at once. Your Excellency, Benedetta. Goodbye, Philip. Wait, Sedgmuth. Join me on the terrace. I have some suggestions to offer, if I may. O'Flynn, I just want to thank you. Benedetta, I have so much to say to you. Please, not now. Philip will be looking for me. I have been looking for you ever since my grandfather first rested eyes on my grandmother. Good morning to you, O'Flynn of O'Flynn. Benedetta, wait. I must join Philip and my father. Oh, come down those steps again, but a moment. No. Uh, well, if I, if I r rhyme your rhyme for each step of that stair, <laughs> will you then come down to me? Well, I... perhaps. Oh. Oh, my gift of gab befriend me now. Um... Uh, if, uh, if patient you'll be and not mark the time, each step you descend, I'll rhyme your rhyme. One. <laughs> I've come here to Dublin, sworn to your king, 
<laughs> Admit for a start that that's quite a thing. I'll do all such deeds as you may entreat, and all that I'll do, I'll lay at your feet. There's no more enchanted a man ever grew than I standing here because I love you. My hand, here it is, your heart put therein, protected from hurt by Flynn of O'Flynn. One more step, Jingler. My rhyme may not be as good as my prayers, but yet you have come to the foot of the stairs. <laughs> Ingenious, O'Flynn, uh, if not uh, exactly immortal. Now, when will you marry me? It's useless. Your words are very nimble, very nimble and very Irish. Give me your scarf. Why? For my regimental flag. O'Flynn, you're incorrigible. A kiss, then. No. Yes. O'Flynn, I insist. And. You shouldn't have done that. Goodbye, O'Flynn. Hendrick, we're in a stew, a foul stew. First I lose your Lady Benedetta on the highway thanks to that Irishman, and now you're in a foul stew. Explain, Sedgman. Until Bonaparte invades Ireland, my usefulness to him is in serving the Viceroy. True, Sedgman. But now the Viceroy has ordered me to capture Castle Knockmore, to capture Van Dronk, our own man. Then capture Van Dronk. What will Bonaparte say to that? I will arrange with Bonaparte for the surrender of Castle Knockmore to your lordship. He will take his place. Ready to open the gates of Ireland when Bonaparte is ready to invade. And to reward you for your judicious treason. Down the coast, frowning on the Irish Sea, stood Castle Knockmore. Ably and grimly commanded by General Van Drunk, the bloody Saturnine hero of Barter. On a plain west of Knockmore, Sedgment's regiment waited and took no action. I wondered why. I hadn't seen Benedetta for two weeks, and again, I wondered why. So thoroughly likable a fellow as I was. Until one evening, as I left a staff meeting at Sedgment's headquarters, a carriage rolled to the entrance with Lady Benedetta about to step out of it. Benedetta! Why, oh, Flynn... Come in the evening, come in the morning, come when expected, come without warning. Please go. Thousands of welcomes you'll find here before you, and the often you come, the more I'll adore you. Why are you here? We're staff meeting with Lord Sedgmouth, in which your fiancé made the bold decision to remain rooted to this plane. You're not to criticize Philip, and you're not to see me. Why? The pattern of my life is fixed, and it can't be changed by your lilting Irish phrases. Oh. Your, your words and your deeds don't match, O'Flynn. Oh, and what is this now, Mid-Ireland? You criticize Philip, but can you do any better? No. You're a trifler, a braggart, and an empty kettle. Braggart, is it? Empty kettle. Oh, I'm sorry, O'Flynn, but I just... Go, Benedetta. Grease your leaden soldier in there whose tailored tactical trousers have their share of lead in them. Before this night is over, I'll take Castle Knockmore for you. Alone. I had no plan. Only a purpose without a method. To capture Castle Knockmore from within. A raised drawbridge hung over the moat around the castle, black and monstrous in the thick darkness. Halt! Who's there? Captain O'Flynn of His Majesty's Dragoons. Deserting. I have news for General Van Dronk. Enemy deserter! Lower the drawbridge! You're 
coming here under pretense of being a deserter has a faint glimmer of imagination, a spark of light in the darkness of my boredom. Thank you, General. The military information you bring is worthless. It turns out you are a stupid, torpid, uninspired, backward, untutored, charmless, harmless, and in every other detail as much a lurching oaf as any man. Uh, you uh, don't admire mankind, eh? Can you at least play chess? Chess? Is it chess, you're saying? <laughs> well, in County Wicklow, I am esteemed and remembered as the man who was a lad of three conquered... Sit down! Uh, yes, Mon General. Never mind, Mon General, I'm not French. Oh. I am simply Van Dronk, supremely bored. You are unarmed. Quite. I will place this pistol on the table between us. Beat me at chess and it is yours. The... the pistol? I lose, you shoot me. Ah. You lose, I shoot you. Play. But, um, where is the chessboard? You have a mind, have you not? Well, I, I'm, I'm fond of thinking so. Then imagine a chessboard and chessmen. Is man so earthbound that he cannot even dream a chessboard? Play. Very well. Um, my pawn to the Queen's Fourth Square. My pawn to the Queen's Fourth Square. Hmm. Pawn to the Queen's Bishop's Fourth Square. Pawn to the King's Fourth. Um, uh, uh, my Queen's Pawn uh, captures your pawn. Pawn to the Queen's Fifth. Yeah. Um, uh, knight to the uh, King's Bishop's Third Square. Pawn to the Queen's Bishop's Fourth. Uh, pawn, pawn, knight. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember our moves. Ah. Yes. Your pawn to the queen's fourth, my pawn to the queen's fourth. Your pawn to the queen's bishop's fourth, my pawn to the king's fourth. Your queen's pawn captured, my pawn, my pawn to the queen's fifth. Your knight to the king's bishop's third, my pawn to the queen's bishop's fourth. Your move. Ah, oh, yes, thank you. My move. <laughs> um, my rook captures uh, your queen. My rook to the bishop's eighth and check. Come in. General Van Dronk. Dispatch from Bonaparte. Move of Flynn. Oh, Flynn. Shh. My queen to the queen's square. General, this man is a spy, an Irishman and a spy. I know. Plays a hard game of chess, too. I resign. You do? Congratulations, of Flynn. The gun is mine. Don't move. General, you let him get that gun away from you. Do not be dull. You want it fairly? Sedgemouth, read your dispatch from Bonaparte. If I refuse... I'll shoot you and take it from you. <laughs> Better read it, Sedgemouth. Very well. To General Van Drock, after a token resistance, you are to surrender Castle Knockmore to Lord Sedgemouth, who will facilitate the impending landing of French forces in Ireland. Signed, Bonaparte, First Consul. Lord Sedgemouth, I arrest you for high treason. The pistol is not loaded. What? Pull the trigger. Go ahead. The devil. <laughs> Arrest the O'Flynn. O'Flynn, when this castle falls to me tomorrow, you will be found here. As British commander, I will order you shot as a traitor. A pretty business, Sedgemouth. Shot, O'Flynn. Day after tomorrow. 
Outside that window. Benedetta. Oh, Flynn. Benedetta, my darling. Come in. You shouldn't have come back to the palace. Very curious. Surely you know I was shot this dawn, but you don't exclaim that I'm alive and unhurt. Only that I shouldn't have come back here. But they know of the hoax now, and this time they'll surely kill you. Ah, Benedetta, my darling. It's mischief bribing firing squads to fire mock volleys. But since you did it for the love of me, I lovingly forgive you. Please, please go. <laughs> I'll not leave until you know I'm not a traitor, Benedetta. Oh, I no longer know who or what to believe. I only know that I want you to live. Oh, I wish that... What do you wish? I wish your arms weren't so tender and strong and the right size to hold an unwilling woman in them. How unwilling is she, really? I have my pride and my honor and a duty to the man I've promised to marry. So be it. I've wooed you faithful and I've wooed you true. And no has always been your answer. But now I'm going to see this through before your eyes. What are you doing? Holding this bit of blank writing paper from your desk, milady. Oh, Flynn, you can still go through the window. No. Please. Come in. Benedetta, my dear. Oh, Flynn. My dear Sedgmuth. Benedetta. Ah, uh, this time you will not escape death, Irishman. What have you to say for yourself? First of all, sir, it's not me that's the traitor, but our stylish friend here, Lord Sedgman. Uh, impertinence, absurdity. He's under orders from Bonaparte to surrender Knockmore to the Frenchies, and I can prove it. These are serious charges, O'Flynn. Ridiculous charges. Are they? Then here. Here's the letter, Your Excellency, from Bonaparte to Sedgmuth, which I had the luck to filch from Sedgmuth's pocket. How, how did you... I, your hand goes to your breast pocket, Sedgmuth. But this paper is blank. That one, Yes. But not the one in his lordship's pocket, I'll warrant. Whatever this Irish hothead tells you, Your Excellency... Is then show him the letter in your pocket. Show him or be called the guilty man if you do not. Show him the letter, Philip. Or be declared under arrest. Under arrest? If you capture me, that is... Stop him! Yes, Your Excellency, stop me! Good! Oh, Castle Knockmore! He's gone to signal the French ships! drawbridge was up and under heavy guard when I again arrived at the gloomy castle. I saw a torch flickering high on the seaward battlement, the rocket platform. Wearily, my heart in my throat, I started up the thick ivy, clothing the sheer walls of Knockmore Bastion. Slowly, ever so slowly, I lifted my head over the parapet. Sedgmuth, torch in hand, peered seaward. A signal rocket at the ready. Two guards, no choice but to be ruthless. I took aim with my one pistol. <laughs> Reversing the empty pistol, I flung it shillelagh fashion at the other guard and caught him squarely on the brow, and he went down as I scrambled over the parapet just in time to meet Sedgmuth's naked sword with mine. Traitor. Fool. O'Flynn, more correctly. Of O'Flynn. <laughs> Break. Climb up the ivy. It tired me. Break, I say. And bleed. Oh. <laughs> Touche, Irishman. What? A drop. On guard, traitor. I warned you. The climb wearied me. So, when it kills you. Oh. Oh. Enough, my lord. 
not. No. Over the horizon somewhere were coming Bonaparte's great men of war. But they could wait and wait and wait some more for a signal that would never come. Let's break here from the Screen Director's Playhouse. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the Screen Directors Playhouse. It was nearly dawn when I came back to Dublin Palace and Lady Benedetta waiting for me in the garden at our marble rhyming steps. Oh, Flynn. Is it over? Oh, Benedetta, my darling. I have a trifling wound which in no way influences the size of my arms for holding a, a willing woman. Flynn of oh, Flynn. The woman is unwilling no longer. Oh, Benedetta. Dublin Palace, six o'clock. The sun is risen and all's well. This is Jimmy Wallington speaking. You have just heard the last act of The Fighting O'Flynn. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a kind of delicate interrelationship between a screen director and a film story. For instance, take The Fighting O'Flynn. The director made a motion picture out of the story, and the story <laughs> made an Irishman out of the director. This last took some doing in view of the fact that he was born in Norway. Now I'd like you to meet him, my director in The Fighting O'Flynn, Arthur Pearson. Thank you, Doug. But I, I think we all came out of the O'Flynn with a touch of shillelagh in our hearts. And better men we are for it, too. But, Doug, I hear you've deserted the uh, Emerald Isle for Central Europe in your next picture, State Secret. That's right, Arthur. State Secret is out of Ireland and into modern dress for an exciting tale of totalitarianism. But for all that, we're still a couple of celluloid sons of Dublin. And here's my thanks for a beautiful job of directing in The Fighting O'Flynn. You made it easy for the actors to tell the story, but... I suppose that's because you were an actor and writer yourself. Well, I tried. As a matter of fact, Doug, I used to write for the radio, a program called The Lincoln Highway. I remember. Any other shows, Arthur? Well, once in a while, I'd write one of those interviews where the actor talks to somebody after the drama. Oh, yes, I've heard of those. You know the ones that always ends with the people saying, um, good night? Good night. Good night, Doug. Good night, Arthur. <laughs> good night, everyone. And good night to you, Douglas Fairbanks and Arthur Pearson. Remember next Friday, Ray Milland in It Happens Every Spring with screen director Lloyd Bacon. Brought to you by RCA Victor. World leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. 
The Fighting Oak Flynn was presented through the courtesy of the Fairbanks Company of Universal International Studios, now releasing One Way Street, starring James Mason, Marta Torrin, and Dan Duryea. Meg Randall can now be seen with Marjorie Maine and Percy Kilbride in Ma and Pa Kettle Go to Town, a Universal International picture. Included in tonight's cast were Ramsey Hill, Dan O'Herlihy, Raymond Burr, Frank Gerstle, Paul Fries, and Frank Barton. The Fighting O'Flynn was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger, and original music was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. The Screen Director's Playhouse is produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Carn. Portions of the program were transcribed. You are invited to listen again next Friday when RCA Victor presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Ray Milland, production It Happens Every Spring, director Lloyd Bacon... Stay tuned for Jimmy Durante. He's the great Rupert, you know, on NBC. And that's the Screen Director's Playhouse presentation of The Fighting O'Flynn, starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr., also in the cast Paul Fries, Ramsey Hill, Dan O'Herlihy, and Raymond Burr, with Jimmy Wallington announcing, sponsored by RCA Victor, is heard on NBC. Well, before we tune in to part one of the Burns and Allen show from 1943, I want to remind all of our listeners about three surprise boxes that are yours for only $39.99 each. Now, each one of these boxes has over $150 worth of classic radio shows or classic movies and TV shows on DVD, or Twilight Zone radio dramas on CDs. These surprise boxes have been going fast. People are really happy with them. And if you want to learn all about our surprise boxes of classic radio shows on CD, classic movies and TV shows on DVD, and the Twilight Zone radio dramas on CD, just go to our website, hollywood360radio.com. That's hollywood360radio.com. There's a pop-up. And on that pop-up, it talks all about these three surprise boxes. And when you are at our website, don't forget, folks, scroll down on our website a little bit and check out a banner we have for a brand-new classic radio app. We have an app for you, and it's absolutely free. You get the app. It's free, and you get 10 free classic radio shows as part of that app. So please do... um, what do you do, Mike? You just click on it and it loads to your phone. I don't know how apps work. Yeah, click work. on it. It basically takes you to the store. You could you could download it and uh, just pop it open, and there you go. I'll tell you what. Uh, technology has passed me by like a freight train. It's really that simple. But really? I guess for a guy who has never put an app on his phone, right? It might be a little challenging the first time. I don't even know my Apple ID. Yeah, I know this. Yeah. I don't even know my 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 regular ID, let alone my <laughs> Apple ID. I don't know my blueberry ID, my orange ID, my grapefruit ID, and definitely you, not my Apple ID. You have people to to help you with all yeah, of that. Yeah, thankfully, you and Lisa. All right, well, check out uh, our surprise boxes and download our free uh, classic radio app. It's time now for the Burns and Allen Show. Of course, they were a comedy duo that started in vaudeville. In fact, they were first heard on radio in London on the BBC. They appeared on Eddie Cantor's radio show and Guy Lombardo's radio shows here in America. And then uh, they uh, hit their own stride with their own radio program, and then they transitioned to movies and to TV. 
very famous duo George Burns and Gracie Allen. They are on radio for 18 seasons. Not bad. All right, we have a radio episode for you now from November 23rd, 1943. George Burns and Gracie Allen star, and their special guest is Loretta Young. You're going to enjoy this part one now of the Burns and Allen Show. Well, hello. Come right in. Oh, George, we've got company. This is Bill Goodwin, speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guest, lovely Loretta Young, with Jimmy Cash, the Swantet, Felix Mills, and his orchestra. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. But before we visit the Burnses, let's look in for a moment on a dramatic scene taking place in the office of a Hollywood attorney. Consulting the attorney is a very excited and beautiful client, Miss Loretta Young. This is preposterous. It's ridiculous. There isn't one word of truth in this entire magazine article. Why, of course there isn't. Now, calm yourself, Miss Young. Calm myself? Just listen to this drivel. Sensational, daring, expose. The Secret Love of Loretta Young by Gracie Allen. Why, that's fantastic. Fantastic is hardly the word for it. Listen to this. Who is the mysterious Mr. X who holds the key to Loretta Young's heart? Does her son, Robert Young, know about this? (laughs) Why, that's positively weird. Uh, Tell me, does Miss Allen say where she got her information? No. Undoubtedly, she got it straight from her head. She couldn't have picked a more unreliable sword. (laughs) Now, uh, does she name the man who's supposed to be your secret love? No, but she describes him. He appears to be a combination of Gary Cooper, Noel Coward, J.P. Morgan, and the Green Hornet. Have you ever met such a man? No. You don't happen to know where I could, do you? Fortunately, I'm afraid not. Now, don't worry, Miss Young. We'll take legal action immediately. Well, I'll leave that to you. And meanwhile, I'm going over and demand an explanation from Gracie. Good day, gentlemen. Uh, good day. Oh, uh, Northrop. Yes, Mr. Reagan. Gracie Allen's married to a character named George Burns, isn't she? Oh, yes, sir. They probably cooked this up together. File suit immediately against Mr. and Mrs. George Burns for $50,000. <laughs> George, I have a wonderful surprise for you. Really? Yes, no more worries about money. Uh, what do you mean? Well, little Gracie has written a magazine article that's going to fix our finances permanently. Sounds wonderful. Oh, it's the least I can do, sweetheart. The way you work and slave at that old office is just making you a wreck, and I want to help. Thanks, dear. Uh, how long have you been writing magazine articles? Oh, quite a while, but I didn't want to say anything until I had one published. Oh, the others were rejected, huh? Yes, and I can't understand it. Well, they were wonderful articles about movie stars. My first one was called Charles Boyer's Eyes. Are they his own? <laughs> can't see why they rejected that. 
And then I wrote a perfectly marvelous piece called Is There As Much Inside of Charles Lawton As There Is Outside? Fascinating stuff. Oh, yes. And then I wrote one that'll just set everybody's tongue wagging. It's called Theta Barra Says She's Through With Pictures. Theta is going to quit, huh? Imagine. Oh, I do a lot of research on these stories. Now, take this one. It's called Gary Cooper. Is he? <laughs> is he... Is he what? Well, I haven't finished my research yet. <laughs> what magazine did you submit the stuff to? Oh, it's a wonderful publication. It, it gives you the real inside information in a high-class way. Life, look, pick, click. Dirt. <laughs> Dirt? You mean that horrible gossip magazine? George, is that a nice way to talk about the magazine that's going to make us rich? Look, here's the latest issue. See what it says in the cover? Sensational, daring expose, The Secret Love of Loretta Young by Gracie Allen. Say, you really came through. Well, thanks, darling. And, George, I won't let my fame come between us. I'll still be a housewife no matter how many literary organizations beg me to join them. Are they after you already? Oh, sure. Just yesterday I got a letter asking me if I'd like to be a member of the Book of the Month Club. <laughs> yeah, you're my little celebrity. Mm. And when I first wrote this story, Dirt turned it down. I, I had no style. No. No. Uh, for instance, I wrote, Every morning Loretta Young gets out of bed, walks downstairs and eats the grapefruit. But you changed that. Mm-hmm. Now it reads, Every morning, luscious Loretta Young gets out of bed with a cry of ecstasy, walks downstairs in a sweater, and passionately eats the grapefruit. <laughs> Didn't take you long to get the hang of it. The title is pretty snappy, too. The Secret Love of Loretta Young. Yeah, isn't it? I wonder if she really has one. <laughs> what? I wonder if she has a secret love. I doubt it. Wait a minute. She must have a secret love. You wrote that in your article. Well, you don't believe everything you read, do you? <laughs> Gracie, if there's no truth in this thing, why did you write it? Well, there's never been any scandal about poor Loretta, so I thought I'd give her a break. <laughs> Murder, you can't do that, Gracie. Good morning, folks. Good morning, Bill. What's Gracie done now? <laughs> Look at this magazine. Okay. Hmm. The Secret Love of Loretta Young by Gracie Allen. Oh, say, Gracie, if you want these kind of stories, I'm your man. Oh, really? Now, Bill, she's done enough. Why, I can tell you the secret love of almost every woman in town. I've seen this bird in plenty of women's homes, married and single. Oh, who is it? Swan. <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. Well, George, just remember that Swan's not only great for a woman's bath and for her hands and face... But it's great for bathing the baby and perfect for dishes and light laundry. Swan's the new white floating soap. There's four swell soaps in one, a great wartime buy. Look, Bill, we'll be in plenty of trouble if Loretta Young reads this article. Maybe you can help us. Do you know Loretta? Well, no, but you know how I handle women, George. Why, gosh, I could flatter her right out of being mad. You think so? Well, easy. I'll go to her and say, Loretta, Loretta, darling, you're beautiful. You have a face like a... Dishpan full of swan oh, suds. Wait, wait a minute. You can't say that. Well, George's nothing looks better to a woman than a dishpan full of swan suds. She knows that those long-lasting swan suds will help make short work out of washing the dishes. And she knows that swan is so mild and gentle, you don't have to worry about rough dishpanny hands. Never mind, Bill. We'll handle this thing ourselves. Come in. Mrs. Boynes? Yes? 
He, uh... Who was that? Aha! Uh-huh. Look at this. I'm not the only one who thinks my magazine article will make us rich. Some smart lawyers think so, too. What do you mean? Well, they don't sue poor people for $50,000. Oh, no. <laughs> $50,000 were being sued for. And all because you made up a story about Loretta Young's secret love. Well, I was only trying to help, George. Hitler should have that kind of help. <laughs> 50000 bucks. Who's got that kind of money? Well, I expect to earn quite a bit with my new article. It's called, Is Jane Russell a Man in Disguise? <laughs> Burn it and scatter the ashes. And furthermore, do... Uh-uh. What's the matter? Here comes Loretta Young up the walk. Goodbye. Oh, George, don't leave me alone with her. I- I'm afraid. Sorry, baby. You got yourself into this? Get yourself out. I'm going to see a lawyer. Goodbye. Hello, Gracie. Oh, uh, you want to see Gracie? Well, she's gone to Australia to entertain the illusion. <laughs> now, it's no use. I know you. Oh, you know me, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, come in. I'm awfully glad to see you. Yes, I guessed that. I came to talk to you about that story. That story? Yes. Oh, yes. You mean that story about the moron who moved to the city because he heard the country was at war. Oh, yes. Cute, isn't it? Josh says, Josh says that no one can do those moron things like me. I agree 100%. But, Gracie, the story I'm talking about is the secret love of Loretta Young. Do you realize how much damage a story like that can do? Why, it's simply outrageous. Oh, my, you're pretty. This can involve me in all sorts of trouble. My studio's going to be furious. Oh, I'd give a million dollars for that complexion. I've never been so upset, so angry in my whole life. I wonder how you keep it so pretty. Well, I start with a foundation cream and work it in. Yes. And then I pat on a little... Yes. Now, wait a minute. I've been tricked. (laughs) Honestly, Gracie, a story like that... Well, it could only be excused if it were written by a crazy person. Oh. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, it was. You mean you admit it was written by a crazy person? Mm-hmm. George. George? <laughs> yep. His old trouble is coming back again. But the article is signed by you. That's his old trouble. <laughs> he, he thinks he's other people. Gracie, do you want me to believe that your husband is a lunatic? It would help a lot if you did. <laughs> well, George always looked all right to me. And mentally, of course. Oh. Oh, well, you can't go by appearances, Loretta. Uh, think of George as a chocolate. A chocolate? Yes. You can't tell by looking at him whether inside he's plain or nuts. <laughs> oh, dear. I wish you hadn't said that. Now, I'll never be able to bite into a chocolate without wondering if its name is George. Oh, you're not taking me seriously, are you? No, Gracie, I'm not. Why should he write such a story and sign your name? Well, he thought he was me. You see, when George has these spells, he thinks he's all kinds of people. One day, he took away the key to my trunk and hid my suitcases, and he said, you're staying home for a change. Who did he think he was? President Roosevelt. (laughs) Now, Gracie, you're putting up a very good fight. But I still think George is sane. I'm afraid you'll both have to face the music. Music? Mm. Oh, now you really hit on his crazy spot. What do you mean? Well, he thinks he's a musician. Last week, he thought he was Harry James. 
Oh, poor Betty Grable. <laughs> oh, he's really crazy when it comes to music, especially singing. He thinks he's Bing Crosby and Nelson Eddy put together. That's an odd combination. You're telling me. Why, every night he sets a trap for the stalk and baits it with shortening bread. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gracie, but I don't believe any of this. Well, I can prove it to you. Oh, look, here comes George now. You just ask him if he doesn't think he's a great singer. All right, I will. Well, Gracie, I talked to our... Oh, oh, you're still here, Miss Young. Yes. I want to talk to you, Mr. Burns. About the lawsuit? Well, I'd like to clear up something else first. Do you think you're a great singer? Well, I wouldn't say great. I'd say, uh, well, I guess great is the word. <laughs> uh, would you like to hear me sing? Yes, I certainly would. Well, this is the hot lick that has Crosby worried to death. <clears throat> like Jackie Horner in the corner, don't go nowhere and I don't care. <laughs> And to think I doubted you, Gracie. Huh? Believe me, you have my deepest sympathy. Oh, see him, Mr. Now, don't you come near me. You stay right where you are. I won't bite you. How do I know you won't? You might think you're a steam shovel and I'm a pile of sand. You're kind of a screwball, aren't you? <laughs> please, please don't say that. I've always heard that one can recognize another. <laughs> What's going on around here? Oh, now, here? George, calm down. Remember your old trouble. How can I forget you? A <laughs> lawyer says we haven't got a leg to stand on. In the first place, you didn't type the story. It's, it's in your own handwriting. Wait a minute. It's in her handwriting? Oh, sure. Then she must have written it. No, no, Herbert Hoover wrote it. Oh, there you see? Now he thinks he's a G-man. Gracie. Gracie, let's not play any more games. Mr. Burns, I'm sorry. I owe you an apology. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. Now, uh, tell me what for. Well, I'll let your wife explain that. Goodbye, Gracie. I'll see you in court. What's going on around here? In another minute, I'll be a raving maniac. Oh, darn it. Two minutes sooner and we would have saved $50,000. <laughs> And that's the first portion of the George Burns and Gracie Allen show from November 23rd, 1943, with special guest Loretta Young. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Burns and Allen show from 1943. Then it's Cloak and Dagger, starring Raymond Edward Johnson. That's next time right here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.